Hey, it's your boy Chris, Players Pick Podcast. Here to shout out my sponsor, Road Roaster Coffee. Road Roaster Coffee makes an amazing array of light, medium, and dark roasts. My favorite is this kick-ass right here. You can check out roadroastercoffee.com and use Players Pick as your coupon code for 20% off your very first order. Enjoy the pod. Players Pick Podcast. Picks and Perspective with Chris Johnson. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Ryan Miranda on the Players Pick Podcast, episode number 109. It's about time. It's about time. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, man. Um, for those that don't know, um, I've talked about Ryan a lot on this podcast through the years. Um, have all the stories in the world about guitar and going to shows in the early days with Ryan, um, we he started playing guitar shortly before I even started, you know, and he was the one that inspired me. Um, we've got all these this history together, and uh, it's about time that I finally have my best bud on the, po- the podcast and it exposed the world to his music and uh, to his awesomeness. So welcome, bro. Hey, I'm super excited to be here on my favorite podcast. I mean, what are you going to do? I got my uh, coffee cup all ready. Oh yeah, I'm rocking Iron Grizzly. I should oh, have a, We're both repping. Yeah, I should have a. I should have an Ixian coffee cup, man. <laughs> I looked at having some made, but they'll only let me make white ones, not black ones. So I'm like, that's uh, just not dark enough for my coffee. Actually, I I had some made that were supposed to be black with the podcast logo on it, but they it's a white cup with like a black like it's like a sticker on it it doesn't really yeah. actually do the thing that you want it to do <laughs> so that's all right it still gives us our caffeine intake that's all we really need absolutely absolutely well one of the thing i mean there's so much that we can talk about on this podcast obviously for hours and forever um but the the one of the biggest things that's going on right now is that you just released your brand new record escalation of arrogance uh it was on the 2nd of june there's what uh, I got it right here. Actually, take a look, everybody. You can see uh, the album art here. It's better to see it on Instagram instead of all the flashy uh, ref- reflections that I'm having here. But um, there's what one, two, three, four, five. There's like nine tracks. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, you've released uh, Reaper's Dawn, which was the first lyric video that went out and it's up on youtube right now and then there's a second one that is dropped which is the title track right escalation of arrogance right tell us about why and how this album came to be you know it's just a labor of love really it just comes from being a huge metal fan and just years and years of just being impressed and loving everybody else's work you know and you just want to be a part of it really um Everyone has inspired me so much that, you know, I just want to give something back and try to say here, this is what I've got to offer in the genre and some of my own ideas that somebody might think is cool. (laughs) Totally. Um, 
I don't know. After some of my last projects, I got to a point where I just wasn't getting the feedback that I wanted. And um, it just kind of was an odd time for guitar. It kind of seemed like guitar is fading and getting a little less important. And uh, I was really letting it get to me and, and I wasn't playing as much and just kind of going through a rough time. But at a certain point, I realized that, hey, even if everything's going to hell, just the joy that you get from making music is its own reward. So that helped me get back into the project. And it just kind of freed me up to just do my own thing and not really worry about kind of the state of the world as much. I mean, obviously, I put the state of the world into my lyrics and what I think is important. But just realizing that regardless of what it was going to pay back, I just needed to continue doing my own thing, making my own music and putting myself out there, regardless of what it was going to be. It was just its own satisfaction. So I just started putting together riffs, you know, and you just collect riffs for a while and one thing leads to another and uh, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Well, it's it's definitely your best effort yet. I mean, I we you know for those that don't know, Ryan and I started a band uh, back in Seattle. Uh, in I mean, basically we started it in two thousand one uh, with Jules, and we had no bass player and no vocalist in the beginning, and um, and then slowly we found uh, other members and put together a record and toured a bunch and. Um, and then when the, when we split ways and like you went off doing your thing and we did our thing, you started writing and recording solo, like creating all this music, uh, on your own and figuring out how to do it without a band, which I find that this is like, it's like you've put so many hours and so much time into like sorting out the, how to make the drums work, how to like produce and get the layers to sound right and do all this stuff through, through the years that, this is like this kind of magnum opus of like of that effort in my eyes, because I see I know where I, I mean, I listen to this. I'm like, is it like Golden Fire like has has it's not it's not the same, but it has like the energy of like living in truth a little bit like in some of the riffs. It's like the old school Meshuga meets your kind of brand of thrash and the riffs remind me it's like oh, living living in truth from only human had like a part two or you know, a future version of it, like some of the riffs like got put in golden fire to me, that's what it kind of sounds like to me. And then I hear all this type of evolutionary stuff, you know, cause I've heard you play for all these years and, uh, and for you to put all this together in one place and to put all, bring all your influences in and, and it be, it kind of really makes it specifically you because, because of that, like their influencers are there, but there's, uh, there's so much, uh, there's so many that like, I mean, I, I could say, Oh, that's kind of reminds me of death. That reminds me a little Metallica. That reminds me of carcass. That reminds me a little bit of this, but the biggest surprise for me has been maybe, uh, like kind of the way, the ways in which you've like, what I feel like blended into eternity into there with the singing and the layering of the clean vocals, like not that you ever match that but it's like it, it, you do your own thing with it and it's very catchy like when that when these clean vocals come in stuff that the previous albums didn't have 
So I'm excited about all that. It's, it's a very listenable record. That's kind of what I was shooting for. I mean, listenable for anyone who can handle death style vocals in the verses, you know, yeah, which, yeah. <laughs> which kind of cuts out a lot of people. But um, yeah, I think there was just kind of a, something clicked at a point and I realized when I was going to do the vocals for this album that that is the thing that most listeners connect with. I mean, yeah, we love awesome riffs. We love banging. We love awesome solos and to be fucking dazzled and blown away. But really, I mean, if you don't have that chorus, how much are people coming back, you know? So an album like this takes me so long from start to finish that I have to put myself in the shoes of each job that I'm doing as I go. And when I got around to the vocals this time, you know, I just, all of a sudden I'm just a vocalist. I'm not looking at the whole thing anymore. I'm just doing the one job. And I was really influenced at the time by a band called Threat Signal. Just awesome vocals um, and really cool, clean, harmonized vocal parts. Just, and I'm like, yeah, I want some of that. And then also the newest In Flames, which I don't know how that was generally received, but to me, it's a songwriting masterpiece. I mean, super good. Yeah. But I mean, I just saw like a Metal Hammer article or something where they called it In Flames' 11th best album. Oh. And I'm like, <laughs> what are you guys talking about? I'm out of here. Yeah. But those influences really shine through. And, um, I don't know. I just don't really ever want to give myself any limitations and be like, I'm a certain genre and they don't do that in this genre. You know, it's just mm. like, I'm trying to grab all the best pieces that I love from all the metal that I listen to. And there's no reason not to include it all. Uh, yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, that's part of what, that's what, that's what this effort also says to me too, is there's, there's an element of branching out further past you know previous uh markers you, you know like the last couple albums there's it's you you kind of perfected the pummeling the the heavy riffs and and even the progressive element has really been a, a strong theme through the last albums too where you break away and you kind of you end up in a place that is different than the main themes and you kind of bring it back which that's something that you and i have loved for a long time through all the different dream theater and, you know, subsequent bands that kind of got influenced by them. I mean, Metallica was already kind of doing it anyway before any of those guys were. So it, there's a certain thing there, but the, but the vocals definitely are far and away, far and above, um, you know, the previous efforts. And because of how much layering and how I, I can tell how much time you put into like making that shit pop. So. <laughs> awesome. I'm glad it shines through. Yeah. Um, it's hard to know, you know, I'm like, of course I put in a bunch of extra layers this time, but when you're going through the mixing mastering phase, you never really know how that vocal blend is going to come out in the end. Like a lot of things get suppressed and a lot of things come out. A lot of my background vocals are a lot more obvious than I kind of expected them to be, but mm. you know, you live and learn and I'll work on that blend for next album. Is that like, based on like how the uh, mastering 
affected the final product. Is that what you mean? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, just cause you know, I haven't mastered myself, you know, and you can read about it and they'll say your guitars get pushed up a lot and you got to kind of anticipate the master when you're mixing, but I'm still kind of new to the whole process. So mm, I think that's a new song. Anticipate the master. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a little too close to the new dream theater. Oh, is it? Is there one? <laughs> Aw awaken the master. Oh, awaken the master. <laughs> Man. Well, that was a sick album. So, I mean, being, yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah, that's, that's a trip, man. It's well, and it, I was just talking to Paul Masvidal the other day and he, we, we, he brought up in his, in our conversation that around this, this whole feeling of like what, you know, you take, spend so much time kind of creating and being in the creative process, the birth and ultimately a birthing process, so to speak, where, you're just wrestling with all these elements and then you finally like turn it in, you know, in his case to the <laughs> label, right. You finally turn it in and they want, they want you to turn around and go right to promoting it and, you know, and, and, and have the energy to do that, you know, and some people get that, that space, but ultimately what he was looking at was that it's interesting that he doesn't even really know what he did <laughs> until he's six months away from it. Minimum oftentimes it's a year or more and he he's like man i don't want to look at reviews for the first six months i don't want to people can write all they want about but i don't want to hear about it because they're not going to understand it everyone everyone you know a few people might understand it within the first six months but it takes time when you're doing creative things and you're doing you're trying to push your at least your own boundaries if not the world's boundaries but you're pushing your thing into a new territory so it's you're bound to have people that don't quite get it you know they go oh you know I don't know. It sounds like a mix of these things and I don't care. They don't, they don't actually listen. Right. And you have to kind of wait it out. And for the, for enough people to hear it for the right people to go, Oh, I know what you're doing. That's the, that's the shit I hear. Dude, you must love death. You must love, you must love heart work, bro. Yeah. Dude. Are you a fan of ride the lightning? You know, it's like, <laughs> like, Oh fuck, you're the guy, dude. You're like, here, like, let me give you an extra shirt. You know, like, like that's yeah. the person, right? <laughs> So I, I wonder what it will be like. I mean, you can probably speak to that with the other albums, right? Because you have so much distance between you and those previous efforts, right? Like, Well, <laughs> now that this new one is out, um, honestly, it's so much better than my previous efforts that I'm just going to kind of pretend that those don't exist. Those are just demos now. That was just practice for getting here. Fair enough. Fair enough. Because this was my first album with a Mac and with logic and all this new technology. And I didn't know what I was missing. I didn't know how much you could do and how much magic happened in the mixing phase. So it's really like my albums before were still just demos. They didn't get any of the magic. <laughs> they didn't get any effects and layers and, you know, but speaking to the not being able to understand kind of even your own music, like Paul was saying, it was kind of interesting because, you know, when you work on a project like this for years and years, I'm actually kind of sick of it by the time yeah. it's over. And so, you know, I turned it in to be mastered. I got it back from my master. It sounded great. And then I just put it aside because I was still waiting for my album artwork to come in. 
And I tell you, I didn't listen to my own album for two months. While I waited for the album artwork to come in, got everything finished, put it out. Then I was still waiting for the release date. And I pretty much treated it like a fan (laughs) where I pre-ordered it on iTunes, you know, just to see it on there. And I wanted to see, you know, what the final spacing between songs sounded like, you know, just to the average listener. Mm. And so, yeah, I didn't listen to it for two months. I waited for the release date and then listened to it on my headphones like a fan when it came out. And it was pretty cool the way that I was actually already far enough away from it to kind of experience it from the outside. Mm. Uh, And I was like, oh, that song order is kind of good. You know, like you can kind of judge, you can kind of judge things a little better once you get a little further away from it. So uh, I understand what Paul's saying in that aspect, but uh, I'm not so afraid of reviews, really. Uh, maybe because I'm not doing things quite so esoteric as he is. You know, sure. uh, His stuff is probably a little more hard to grasp in the whole scheme of things, whereas mine's a little more punch you in the face immediate. You, you kind of know whether you like it or not. <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, there's a lot more reference points for what it is, what you're doing versus what he's doing. So yeah, anytime you're that far off the map, you're you're just wide open to randos going, what the hell is this? This is a bunch of robot voice poetry. I don't know what's going on. You know, like, um, whereas, yeah, I mean, even though the, the landscape of metal is super wide, with all its subgenre, uh, it's still relatively narrow in comparison to the wide scope of what's possible. So it, it the, the metal fans can go, they can drop in and go like, okay, it says for fans of thrash for this, for that, I'm probably going to like it. And then, you know, but we're, we're picky bastards too. So we like, we drop in and we're like, Oh, it doesn't have enough double bass. Doesn't have enough blast beats. You know, I'm out. You know, I want more grindcore in my death metal. Whatever. You know, people are weird, but it's yeah. true. We we get really picky. Like, there's a lot of bands that like I'll listen to because of awesome riffs, technicality. Overall, they're whipping ass. But I'm like, man, I really hate that vocal tone. <laughs> you know, it's hard to find that perfect blend that is really what you like as a listener. And I mean, I guess that's why we need so many different bands to scratch all the different itches from all the different angles. Yeah, it's well, it's well, well it's funny because out of everybody I know, you're probably the toughest person to please in that department, too. You know, we will always share music and you're kind of like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm like, I love this. And you're like, hate it. And I'm like, ah, you're like, I love this. And I'm like, ah, I could, I don't know, you know, like <laughs> it's like, and then every once in a while, you know, uh we meet in the middle you're like oh but you know you got to re-listen to the trivium and i'm like okay man i'll re-listen to it oh shit actually it's good i'm glad you made me listen to it because i wouldn't have (laughs) i would have missed it you know no you make me think of when um our buddy don wade turned me on to silosis and and when i first listened to him i said uh they're too perfect they're too sterile oh and he's like man, you find a lot of reasons not to like stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You know, of course, I since got into Silosis, and I think they're freaking awesome. Great band. 
but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's one of the things that I think is funny. You know, this, you know, finding ourselves in our forties. I mean, we, I, we met in junior high and became better friends in high school. And, uh, and I, I, you know, in the early days of music discovery, you don't have as many reference points. You only have the, like your, your parents and your immediate friends as reference points, especially prior to the internet. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And so we were a lot more open to things too, back then. I remember, you know, we'd get (laughs) random CDs and like, you'd get hooked on something random. And I'd be like, I don't know why you would be listening to that. And you, same thing with me. (laughs) I mean, cause that was the thing. I mean, you couldn't even really preview things before the internet. Like we literally had to go to tower records and judge albums by their artwork and their song titles. And you'd be like, oh, that sounds kind of aggressive. They might be in a genre that I like. And then you'd have to fucking commit and buy the album to even find out. You know, a better part of a $20 bill. It was like, and then it was like the hugest breakthrough when Tower had listening stations. (laughs) (laughs) Then you had to sit there in the store and preview stuff. It seems so barbaric. (laughs) <laughs> do you remember do you remember our uh i think you remember our friend frank we made at camelot music in the mall yeah a bit yeah yeah we used he, to always go in there and talk about discovering new metal bands well he he was the only one in town that had like a a dedicated metal section because like you go to the underground you went to tower it was all kind of mixed in and you had to kind of know and somebody had to know or re- <laughs> reference you had to see it in a, a review in a magazine and in kerrang or something like that and uh and then go looking for it because so-and-so's brother's cousin's sister said something about the thing that was cool. <laughs> yeah. So you're there, you're there. But when you walked in, I remember that I wish I knew where that dude Frank was. Cause I'd love to give him a big ass hug. Cause uh, he, I, I remember us going in there a few times and buying CDs and my, 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 I, we bought uh cynic there. We bought cynic focus. One of us did. I don't know. I forget which one of us bought it, but I, I still remember, have that CD. So I don't know. It's probably you, but like, I think we bought that off of uh, album art alone. And then later found out that Paul was in death. Like, I don't like, we didn't have that figured oh, out. Yeah, no, not you know? at all. And then I remember we bought, uh, I I'm pretty sure I bought Testament low or maybe you bought Testament. No, low there. I think, I think you got that one. Yeah. Yeah. I remember then, listening to it at your house a lot. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then, and then it was, I, I, it wasn't very long after that, that the Convergence album from James Murphy came out and I found that there. And, and I remember, I remember when the very first Slipknot album dropped and I went in there by myself and Frank goes, dude, this band right here is going to be huge. And I was like, (laughs) what a bunch of fools with masks on. Yeah. Sounds like more aggressive corn. Okay. Well, fine i'll buy it or whatever and then who i mean i would have never guessed that slipknot was going to be one of the biggest bands still you know now to be honest but yeah you could never see it coming i mean it was a weird time for metal when uh you know metallica had gone to the load and so you <laughs> you know and then pantera stepped up and that's when phil started saying the king's done left you so we're the kings now and they were for a yeah. while yeah. And then, but unfortunately, Pantera didn't even last much longer after that. And then we were just left kind of in a desert of metal. And it was just like, who's going to be the kings now? 
And apparently Slipknot was the ones to step up. I mean, shortly after that, Lamb of God, you know, was a serious contender for the throne. Meshuggah in the background doing their thing as the badasses that they were, but they don't have the mass appeal that yeah, those other bands have. Still a little too niche. And, you know, you needed to really be into, really be into the deep cuts of metal to even appreciate Meshuga back in the day. Of course, Agreed. now now everything's gent. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it's tr- it's true. It's it's that and that was that's the kind of the interesting thing about all of that is that looking back, going like I I can pick out some bands that are influenced by Slipknot. You know, they're, they're, because there are certain little telltale th- things. If somebody's emulating Joey's style of drumming and a little bit of the production and stuff like that, or if they're emulating the vocals, but it's not it's not like you could be a huge Slipknot fan and never sound like Slipknot really, you know, <laughs> you know, kind of but, on the, on the DL, I kind of think that that's what Metallica was trying to do with St. Anger. They're like, really? let's, let's hit that trash can. <laughs> like one of their percussionists, like their clown, that clown is always hitting that trash can and let's not, and let's not do solos like <laughs> they don't. Maybe if yeah. they would have put on masks, it would have gone over a little better. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's so sad. It's like, <laughs> it's, I have, you know, such a love, uh, like kind of disgust relationship with Metallica. Like I'll never not love them. They're, you know, they're like, they're what they changed the game forever. It's like, they're one of those bands that came along and you're like, nothing would be the same if they weren't around, you know? So, um, you know, we could, we could not have Megadeth and we'd still, we'd still like kind of almost be the same. Like, I'm not saying that Megadeth isn't good and they haven't changed my life. And I actually prefer most of their music these days over Metallica's, you know, for the last 15, 20 years. But, uh, but you know, you just can't change. Like, it would just irrevocably, irrevocably change metal. I mean, it may not be the same now with the kids, you know, but for the longest time, like, you would never find a guitar player especially a metal guitar player that wasn't influenced by Metallica. Like it was like the basic ABCs. That's where you started, you know, yep. and then they'd be the gateway band to get you into other things. But I was thinking about this the other day, how odd it is that like, I mean, everyone our age would count Metallica as an influence, but it's weird that, I don't really think anyone has been able to do what they do. You know what I mean? So to speak. Well, I mean, I was still a big fan of uh, death magnetic, man. I thought that was a great comeback. It's a good record. Yeah. Um, But I mean, think about how many people were influenced by Metallica's style. And then how many good bands did you ever hear that were even in that vein, even reminded you of them? Like most of the modern new thrash bands that I hear, like beginning of songs will start kicking ass and you'd be like, yeah, it's got the beat. It's got the riffs. And then they just come in singing like Slayer. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I don't want to hear. I mean, I don't want to hear that type of punk monotone, hardcore yelling. Like I, 
why can't anybody sing a little more like Hetfield? You know, I mean, yeah, he's very know. distinct, very distinct. I, and, and there's like, so there's so I, I know, I know what you mean too. I feel like Metallica, um, especially the first five records, you know, so there was so much more patience involved in there's obvious patience involved in the way the structure of the songs and the writing and, you know, like you, you placing the right harmonies and, you know, the, the progressive elements of that band, you had, you had to have, they, they were, they were asking for your patience. They're asking for your attention. Like, you, like we're going to take you on a journey. And then, but the Slayer attitude and the, and the rest of the thrash element, like you look at uh, Slayer and Anthrax and, um, you know, even Megadeth, it, being a little has a little bit of the prog vibe on it, but they never really asked you for the same kind of patience that Metallica asked you for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they would do some weird stuff like think of Hangar 18, where it just switches halfway through and never goes back to the chorus. Sure. Like, as a fan, honestly, I kind of hated that because Hangar 18 had such a cool chorus. But I was kind of mad you only got it a couple of times. But now as a songwriter and somebody that's like more into progressive elements, I kind of like that they just take off halfway through the song. And, you know, I started doing stuff like that, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's that was actually in a lot of ways, I felt like one of the maybe kind of almost unsaid elements of Only Human when we were writing together back then is like, yeah, we wanted to. Uh, make punishing music but we also at least I know like you're you're more you were more in the realm of like uh, songwriting I felt like you as a songwriter you had more of those elements early on of like trying to have a verse chorus verse chorus stuff where when we put stuff together we made cool riff salads and like we we were we became unafraid of like okay it only does these parts like once and then we just go to a completely different thing and we're never coming back to that we pass through this and then we're gonna end up on the other side of the world sorry everybody you know no and yeah I agree in in only human I felt like our for, our focus was really to be more avant garde and just to really really try to throw people off just doing True. weird stuff by doing things three times instead of four. <laughs> one uh, time here <laughs> yeah we definitely weren't concerned about the hooks so much as the making you say what the hell just happened <laughs> yeah that's the kind of it's kind of like the the dna of taking our love for thrash music uh the experimentalism of like mashuga candiria and 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 then toss in a, a vocalist that loves mike Patton and faith no more and <laughs> yeah and, and, and we just said hey, i don't know we're not vocalists do whatever you want you know and so he just like threw down <laughs> all these different weird ways well at the time too uh like a lot of bands were doing weird stuff like we were listening to the soylent green oh that's right and they just straight never repeated any parts at all they're just like part a b c d e f g like no hooks, no choruses, no verses. So, I mean, that was like the extreme side of it. So even in only human, we felt like we were kind of toning it down. We were keeping it reasonable. You're not wrong. That's, I for, kind of forgot about that band. We listened to that. What was the, the album that we listened to that had all the Art Nouveau on? It was really good. Uh, it's kind of like the second or third one. I don't remember now, but, uh, I don't know if it was sewn mouth secrets or it was the one before that. 
Mm. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, that was, uh, that was a fun era, fun, fun time. Yeah. In, in comparison, in, in comparison to like bands like Dillinger escape plan who came after, you know, and stuff like that, you, you they really set the bar so far out that we, if you were doing anything traditionally, uh, as a departure from from your if you're just departing from metallica still then you're 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 in the kiddie pool still because yeah dillinger escape plans like left the universe you know <laughs> like you're like i don't even that is, is that even, is that music oh okay there's a riff oh wait no never mind yeah. oh no, never mind <laughs> man just give me something to grab onto please <laughs> exactly yeah man i want to go back to the album the, the escalation of arrogance man the that was the one, I think maybe the first thing I, I mentioned to you uh, by text is after listening to it like first three times, is like the track listing, the, the way that you uh, arranged the tracks. I don't know if you, did you have a feeling as you were writing about the order of tracks at all? Did you kind of, cause I thought maybe you had some sort of preconceived notion of like, I need a track four, I need a track five or something like that before, but was that a, a conscious thought? On previous albums, it really has been where I really tried to follow the Metallica formula of having a super fast song first, super fast song last, title track is number two, ballad is number four, you know, yep. but, but this album, I decided to just do the songs and let the chips fall where they may. Hmm. Um, I just wanted to do something different, you know, more, more honest and kind of from my own perspective, less trying to emulate anybody else. So I just really leaned into what I felt the songs becoming as they went and the vibes that they had. And I kind of knew that after death was going to be the album opener. I kind of wrote it to showcase all the different flavors kind of back and back, back to back. So you'd get an idea of kind of what was to come. Mm. And uh, I made sure that it had kind of an epic intro that was kind of overdone. So it'd be like big enough to be the intro to the album. But um, initially I did have a different track listing. And then once the songs were getting completed, I'm like, no, it's got to be like this, like this, like this. And um, it's kind of just how I wanted to unveil the sound to the listener as they're going through it. And, you know, I want to hit them with some rippers open and then it gets a little more progressive as you get into it. And um, there's a lot of different flavors on this album. so there was a phase during writing where I'm like, I'm not even sure that all these songs can go on the same album, mm. <laughs> you know? And mm -hmm. so that album order was really important to be like, okay, he established this in song one. He established this in song three. Now I'm, by the time you're to song six, you're like, oh, okay. Now I understand where all of this is coming from where, <laughs> Had I opened with that, you'd be like, what the hell is going on? This is too much. Mm. See, that's and that's you, you, that's kind of the nerd side of you that I know so well is like because you analyze 
other your favorite records in that way and you and like that's something those are little gifts and easter eggs and stuff that i'm sure you've found throughout different albums through the years and that's been an influence on you so it's almost like it feels like yeah obviously you're like you're making an album that you want to hear you know like that you're trying to make the album the closest to what you would want somebody else to hand you that's definitely my main focus and that's kind of where my blend comes from mm. It's just because I'm like, oh, I like this over here. I like this over here. I like this over here. And, you know, that's why I lean so much more into singing this time, because, of course, I like brutal things. You know, it's a flavor that you can't really deny. You need all these different flavors in metal. But for bands that are just brutal, it's like I feel like you're missing so many opportunities for awesome moments. Uh, whereas bands that blend more sounds, you know, there's, there's just more opportunity for things that, you know, give you chills and make you feel things mm. as that, that brutal can really only make you feel one way, you know? Yeah. And, and, and for those that um, have a hard time with uh, those type of vocals, it becomes, uh, it's it's it, it grates on the nervous system unless you're attuned to it, right? So, and like that's where I'm at in these days. If it doesn't give me any relief or any reprieve at some point, if there's no release from all the, you know, then I I I'm like okay okay. My after a while, like I my system almost gets overloaded. So you you definitely open the door for, um, you know, more listenership by inviting that in and. I, Man, it's there's a ton of almost I would say probably it feels like without having an exact count. I mean, I, I'd say at least 50% of the album feels pretty memorable because of that. Like at least 50%, you know, and it's probably a little more, it's probably like 65% as far as like you listen to it one or once or twice, and then there's these like when you have an echo of like a, a melody, you know, one of the songs sticks out and you're like, oh man, what's that thing? Oh, it's Ryan's song. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm really hoping it's going to be one of those albums where you listen to it the first couple of times and you're like, oh man, that song is my favorite. It's the banger. And then as you listen to the song, I mean, as you listen to the album more times, you'd be like, oh, now a different one's my favorite mm. and listen to it further. And you'd be like, oh, now a different third one is standing out to me as you get more used to it. I love albums like that. Like, <laughs> Children of Bodom's Follow the Reaper. I remember. Man, as I listened to that album, literally every song on that album was my favorite song on the album <laughs> at some point. I'm like, oh, no, dude, it's fucking this one now. Didn't you Just, get that album when we were living on Corliss with, Kim with Kimsey? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that was one where... Uh, <clears throat> I was working at a pizza place and I, and I was closing the pizza place and I was in the back office counting shit out and was listening to KISW metal shop, like Saturday night at midnight, whatever it was. Shout out to Steve rock. <laughs> and, uh, and I heard, uh, I think it was follow the reaper. Come on. No, 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 no. It was Bodum after midnight was the song. And I'm just like, okay, this sounds just like another European band. And then it got to the solos and I was just like, what is happening? 
And then I paid attention <laughs> and I'm like, children of Bodom, huh? And again, still, this was the days before I had a computer, went into silver platters <laughs> and, and they had it in stock. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Got the uh, follow the Reaper CD and oh man, nothing was ever the same after that. Rip Alexi. Yeah. Uh, gone too soon, man. Absolutely. Talk about a guy though, that gave his life to metal though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he seemed like a classic kind of tortured soul of sorts, you know, in a ways, you know, like, I don't know what his demons were officially, but I mean, I know alcohol was part of that. Maybe it's some depression or something. I don't know where that, you know, but I, I just know that he's highly regarded and, and, and the pre the, the subsequent albums post follow the Reaper are all been highly acclaimed, you know, like, and I know that you love them. And uh, a lot of my friends in the industry have all been like, man, that's just one of their bands, you know, and they accredit him as one of their main influences on guitar, which I never connected to him in that way, but I could see, I could see why, you know, like I could see why everybody was excited. So that's obviously an influence with you and in, 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 in your writing too. Not really consciously, but you know, just all the influences seep in, you know, maybe more with vocals sometimes, you know, mm. he kind of had that higher death vocal. He kind of tried to add a note into it too, where I don't, I feel like it kind of makes it feel like you're straining your voice when you try to add a note to a death scream. Difficult, but man. <laughs> a lot of people do it. You know, like I take more of the carcass approach where it's just the wind of death. <sighs> <laughs> yeah you do you do a really good job of of holding down that like uh that carcass that jeff walker vibe uh and but there's like a there's uh which song is it that is uh what's holding you back nothing is that golden fire yeah 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 that one that one really is just smacks of death to chuck chuck shoulder to me more i like you know? it yeah that one's like because it th there's part of the the riffage and the the setup is there and the, like the the delivery of the nothing you know like that part of it i can't do it but like the that part of, reminds me of like it's somewhere kind of in between symbolic and sound of perseverance it's like i don't it's the a, a, a little something that never happened but happened on your album instead you know yeah i'm not sure where you know I'm just such a huge metal fan. I've listened to so much over the years that a lot of these influences seep through to my music and I'm not even aware where they're, where they're coming from. Mm. And it just winds up getting added to the overall blend. <laughs> well, let's go back a bit. I'm, I'm, I want to know, uh, I mean, I know some, some of these, uh, some of this information, but I'm curious about what you remember about, you know, when you first started playing guitar and of course, in relation to guitar picks, right? Like, like when you got, I know your dad got you a, a telecopy, which like was the first thing. What do you remember about that guitar? What do you remember about getting that guitar and your dad's influence on you? <laughs> you know, cause your dad's quite the character and, and uh, he's like a legend in my mind. So um, especially with that old SG, like we were like, Oh, I can't touch the SG. Um, but uh, shit. <laughs> Yeah. Tell me, tell me about like, about, about starting and, um, and also like, what do you remember about your first couple of guitar picks? 
and how did you get to play what you're playing now? Well, uh, you know, growing up, my parents were huge rockers and we just listened to rock and roll all day long, every day. So of course, you know, ACDC, Led Zeppelin, Scorpions, Def Leppard. These were my ABCs. By the time I was 10 years old, all that stuff was ingrained in me. And, you know, my dad had a Gibson SG, kind of a older, pretty vintage one. And he used to like to just play lead over the radio. He'd just find the key and play lead over whatever he was listening to. And I always thought that was super cool. I don't know when the desire to actually play guitar hit me. I mean, I played a little when I was really young, like mm, 10 or 12. Uh, my dad's friend Everett had like 13 guitars. And every now they would, every now and then he would just bring them all over and they would just have huge jams in the garage for hours. And, uh, Everett had this little tiny travel guitar, which was the right size for me because I was a little kid. So they started teaching me, I think, uh, Ghost Riders in the Sky, which is odd because it was like a TV. Uh, I think it was the theme to Gunsmoke. Oh, weird. But I didn't know that. And full circle, it's super weird. Children of Bodom actually covered ghost riders in the sky oh whoa i didn't know that years later just super <laughs> weird super weird so um at some point well <laughs> everett took all his guitars and you know the travel guitar wasn't around anymore and i thought i was too young to play a full-size guitar so i just gave it up for a few years then you know around 15 and a half i think i really decided that i wanted to do it again you know totally inspired by Metallica. And um, so I asked for a guitar for Christmas. And uh, so, of course, uh, my dad found a way. Well, my parents, I don't know who is really responsible, but uh, my dad managed to get one of his friend's guitars. And it was, uh, it was... I guess a Japanese copy, I don't know, of a Telecaster. It was not a brand name, but it had a hot aftermarket Seymour Duncan humbucker in it. But me as a 16-year-old metalhead, <laughs> when I saw that it was a cream-colored Telecaster, <laughs> I'm like, what are you guys doing to me? Like... <laughs> this is not the image i'm going for like i needed like at least like a red strat like a black something you know so immediately when i got that guitar i was like what the hell and i swear i didn't even start playing it for a month i just kept looking at it like <laughs> not that i'm ungrateful to my parents i mean fucking i appreciate you guys got me the guitar Sure, sure, sure. but i mean first thing i did was start saving my lunch money so i could buy an ibanez <laughs> i remember that ibanez that you end up getting you no know, and it, it took maybe you know a year year or two i sold the telly uh, to i think my wife actually <laughs> at the moment she bought it 
uh, just so she could have something that was like mine. She wanted to be connected to me. And then I eventually remember that. Okay. And yeah. then eventually I think she gave it to my brother maybe. So my brother, Jared still has that telly. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Wow. That's so um, cool. So regarding the picks, um, it was the same deal. You know, my dad was always playing lead and there was always picks around the house. And um, the ones I remember most is like the celluloid fender, like ones you could kind of see through. They weren't that thick. You could bend them, you know, and some of them be like the tortoise shell, mm-hmm. I think, you know, and uh, you know, you just kind of played with whatever was around the house. It didn't even really occur to me that picks could be different or have different effects. You know, even the difference between something super soft and something super hard. It's like I wasn't a good enough player yet to even have a preference. You just kind of were working your way through it. Um, and then I don't know. Eventually, I've heard you talk about this before. I don't know if it was dime bag or um or God, uh, James Murphy. But we saw that someone was using the, uh, the 88s, the Tortex 88s. Yeah. Yeah. And that became my favorite for years and years and years. And I never even tried anything else like the whole time through only human. It was that Tortex 88. Same. (laughs) Even to the point where, uh, you had all those custom ones made for me. Heck yeah. You can see that. Yeah. And those yeah, are great. Too. I've been packing those in with my, <laughs> uh, with my CDs as people buy those. Super cool. And it's a cool little add on now that I don't even play that pick anymore. And I've got like 2000 of them. <laughs> That's perfect. Give them all away. So then when uh, I was fortunate enough to go to Nam with you what 2018 19 the years are just i think it's 19 i don't believe in time anymore right yeah <laughs> there was a uh me and my wife have an inside joke where we were watching snl and uh they had a, a movie reviewer was just a character that had reviewed a bunch of movies on acid <laughs> and you know it was on weekend updates so it's uh Colin, God, I Colin Jost. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Colin asked him something about the time of the movie. And he says, you still believe in time, Colin? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that, that's one of my wife's inside jokes. I totally do not believe in time anymore. It's just, <laughs> it's just a figment. Absolutely. I'm with you on that. But so, <laughs> you know, when we got to Nam. I don't know what, I just suddenly realized a bunch of shortcomings in my playing. Like, you know, sitting down at those demo booths and playing in front of all these worldwide shredders made me feel a little self-conscious. You think? Maybe. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I would see some great players watching me for a second and just have this look like, 
the hell is he doing? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and so it was partly that, but then it was partly seeing Nam as kind of a location that was like a physical representation of guitar success. I'm like, dude, if you have made it, you're here. Like, and I'm like, I want to make it. I want to be here. I want to be in the cool kids club. And um, I'm like, when I got back from that eye-opening experience, I just kind of had a lot of ideas on how to take myself to the next level. And I knew the first thing that I needed to do was change my pick technique. Mm. The whole time I'd been playing, you know, I held my pick wrong. Um, We had the first same guitar teacher and his attitude was just do whatever feels comfortable to you. Like nothing is wrong. Like just do you. And so I held my pick like this with one finger out. And it was great for things that required a little more reach like string skipping, but it really slowed me down speed wise. So first thing I did was when I got home, learn to hold my pick correctly like this. Mm. And it, it probably added an instant third to my speed just because the fulcrum no longer was way out here. It was in here. So every note was that much less distance to travel. But then once I changed my pick technique, I needed to find a new pick Mm. uh, because that 88 no longer felt right with the way that it hit my finger. So at that point, I started auditioning every pick I could get my hands on. And this is when you were with Dunlop, so it wasn't hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. You're like, here's the new flow. Here's the new 420. Here's the new Petrucci. Here's the new Andy James. And I'm just trying out all these different thicknesses, all these different shapes. And um, what I wound up really loving was the Nylon Jazz 3 XL. Um, Yeah. The red one, the red one. I, I tried the other nylon, the black one as well. Um, but I don't know what it is. It's something about the feel of the texture when it's on the string. I don't know what it is, Mm. but this, this red one is just perfect. Um, and I had tried the smaller jazz three, cause I know how popular it is. And I found it really good for shredding, like really good for lead. But when it came to riffing, I just couldn't quite hold on to it well enough. Like when I'm hitting the strings hard. um, And I found that this XL, it just, it tucks in to the top of my hand, Mm, just in the perfect way where it just, you've got that grip on the upper finger and it just locks in. And so, yeah, ever since um, then, it's, it's just been the Jazz 3XL. 
That's awesome. Yeah, that's a that's a great uh, progression too, and it's for all the right reasons. It's like it just you find new inspiration. You see people doing things that you weren't really sure was even being done, and then and like that opens you up. Like, oh well, what am, what am I not doing? What could I, what else could I be doing? That yeah. you know, if I just changed a couple things, you know, and that's uh, kudos to you, man, because it's difficult, especially after you've been doing something for a long time uh to 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 change because you know change is difficult usually in most arenas in life and especially when something that is as personable as uh, an instrument in the way that you play um you have to have great motivation to 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 shift otherwise because it's too easy to just go back to the thing that you know is comfortable that you know but you you obviously had uh uh you know your sights set and so here you are, you know, because I, I remember in the beginning too, like it, you, there even maybe was it like a, a, a little bit of an uptick around the way that you held the pick uh, and then now you're kind of forward with it or am I, am I <laughs> remembering that correct incorrectly or? Um, you know, it's possible. I, I probably didn't even analyze my own technique that much, you know, mm. as long as the sound was coming out like I liked, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it didn't really matter. Um, but yeah, no. I've noticed that type of thing, like with watching Ola England play, like Ola's got a very strange pick technique where he kind of fans as he goes along the strings. And when he's on the top two rhythm strings, he's doing a lot of upstrokes. And uh, I mean, it just goes to show that you, you can do it any way that works for you. I mean, look at Marty Friedman. Look at okay. Marty Friedman's crazy right-hand technique. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, nobody's talking any shit about him. <laughs> no, no I, nor should you. I mean, that dude is, especially seeing him live a, few, a handful of times in recent years where he's like kind of on his own, uh, doing his own thing. He's, he's strangely just such a force to be reckoned with because like, it's weird. Like you, you, he, he's not a bedroom shredder. He's a, a, a world-class top shelf stadium guy that can fire it off and not look and like, what did I just blow your doors completely off? Sorry. Oh, and my, 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 my wrist looks funny. You want to talk <laughs> shit? Are you talking shit? I'm, yeah. he's, he's a short dude no. that wears big platform boots and, and has curly hair and, but like, will just shred. And he's not even, it's like it, his mental capacity is not, trying to do that to you he that's just kind of where he goes with it which is i last time i saw him i was like i just in awe because it's you know you do when you do something just like you're talking it's like going to nam and you're like okay i've been playing guitar for 20 years and then you go there and you're like oh there's every way to do this and i'm <laughs> i'm one narrow one narrow little sliver of how it can be done you know not wrong not right just and there's just this wide panacea of, you know, uh, of possibility. And yeah, I mean, if, if Dave Mustaine can be a vocalist then Marty Friedman can be a guitar player. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> I mean, just do you, right. I mean, somebody out there is going to like it, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. If you get, if you, if you play the numbers that, and I think that's the deal, right. With anything, it's like, if you, um, you know, that's what, that's what Kirby taught me back in the day was like, just, just ask enough people. Somebody's going to buy a $2,000 vacuum cleaner eventually. 
Yeah, I say only if you get 10% engagement. I mean, that's still what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, there's definitely the, the, the persistence outweighs their resistance, as they say in the sales meetings. <laughs> well, as you're talking about, you know, everybody being able to do things their own way, you know, that you're just one tiny sliver of the whole, that can be kind of intimidating being like, how am I going to get anybody to find my sliver? But then it's also inspiring that there are infinite flavors of the thing that you like, <laughs> you know, like that's what I love about metal. And it's what keeps me from feeling like I'm missing out by not listening to a lot of other genres is because I feel like there's a lot of variation within metal. Like you could be listening to something as light as scorpions mm -hmm. and it still counts as metal, or you could be listening to a legion, you know, some brutal tech death. Sure. Or you could be listening to dream theater, which I don't know if that still counts as metal, you know, oh, per yeah. periphery, you know, I mean, any blend of elements you want is allowed. And, um, you know, to bring it back to my album, I, I think uh, that's what I really freed myself up for this time was to just be myself. I'm definitely not ever thinking of fitting a genre. I'm not ever thinking that I'm death or I'm thrash or melodic death metal. You know, I'm just like, do what you do and someone will like it. And um, probably one of the biggest rewards or feelings of victory on this album was um, there's a guy that I've come up with over the last, you know, 10 years or so here in Seattle. And he's more of a punk rocker. His name's uh, Jeff Little. And uh, early on, he was helping me with a lot of my production when he had a computer and I didn't have one yet. And he'd kind of show me what he knew. And then now I've been learning a lot more and showing him what I know. And so he kind of was along um, for a lot of the behind the scenes process of this album and saw it kind of coming together. And when he was hearing it towards the end of the progression, he turned to me and he said, you've got your own style now. Mm. And, you know, that's one of the coolest things that you could hear as an artist that's been grinding and working at it so hard and feeling like you're just emulating your heroes to feel that finally I made something that's my own and my own flavor. I mean, that's where you want to be. Right. You know, absolutely. And I, and I, I will second it too. I will, I, I feel very much the same, especially because I know the other albums, even though you're like kind of put them in the background and they're like demos now. Um, you quite literally wouldn't be here doing this without them. Right. Like they're very, very clear stepping stones to, to be in this place. And 
um, and you you cut your teeth on a, a, a lot of, you know, a lot of work pre- pre- previous to this a lot of work, you know, and, and that's kind of what I what I'm getting at, even though I pick out part of me goes, oh, oh, that feels like a little death thing, or that's a little carcass thing, or that's the thing. The thing that I'm super excited about is that it's not you have people that have where their influence is really clearly on their sleeve. Um, I get tired of pretty quickly because I'm like, Oh, but I could just listen to tool. If I wanted, I could just listen to that other band that it reminds me of if, if I wanted to hear that. Absolutely. But, But when you combine this type of wide array of influences in one place and you, then, then it, then it, there, it takes on a new all together, new flavor. Right. And I think that's what maybe Jeff is alluding to in some ways, because um, and I, I and again, I think that all the, the classic things that I know and love about what you do are present. And then you also press yourself with the singing and the production and the arrangement and the album. Everything is next level for you on this effort. So it's uh, it's super exciting in that respect, because. Um, I know all too well, you know, like what it feels like to kind of, you know, you you keep emulating, you keep doing things that like, I just want something to sound almost like blackened. I want something to sound this kind of justice or I want this or whatever. And, uh, and you go for it and you kind of achieve it to some degree. Uh, and then it's not till years later after you've been steeped in the juices of all the influences <laughs> for long enough and you've really put time and effort into your own, you know, technique, your own. Uh, willingness to express that something like this can even take place. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's quite a process. Uh, Hopefully that I can stay on the same path. And now with all the things that I've learned, it won't take quite as long on the next material, you know, hopefully I can keep this momentum going and I'm excited to write some more songs in this same vein. Uh just because I'm loving the sound as well. And I want to hear some more exploration of this sound Mm, myself, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and hopefully I can become a little more prolific, you know, like (laughs) it's crazy how some bands can put out brilliant stuff every two years, like dream theater drops 70 minutes of new music like every two years how are they doing this that's all they do (laughs) right but i mean some bands it takes them eight years to put out an album scar symmetry i'm looking at you (laughs) slouches i mean seriously i just did an album by myself in the same amount of time that scar symmetry has been making me wait true but Pear has been in Meshuga and three other bands that whole time too. This is true. This is I'll true. give him that. This and, is true. And because I like him, I give him a pass. He's, <laughs> he's like one of the best dudes and greatest players on the planet. So it just hurts so bad because I want some more. Give yeah. it to me, Pear. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, it's true. There's a well. That I agree. I think that you're gonna like. It'll be really interesting to see the next projects that are maybe in the same vein, but I, I'm also personally excited for to see what you do outside of this. Cause I know you have some desire to do instrumental stuff and, 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 and just, you know, 
play around a little bit because you've been now that you have these tools at your fingertips and you're like, Oh, I can do all kinds of things, you know, and it doesn't have to be this necessarily. Um, so I hope for us to do some more collaboration around that type of stuff too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to doing a little instrumental EP here, having been um, shown another side of guitar since Nam as well. And learning about all these new school guys like Polyphia, uh, Pliny, Mm. and um people who are just kind of reinventing guitar in a way and uh finding new ways to make it relevant and um just that you know that fun attitude of polyphia uh i'm like uh let's i mean not that i'm gonna try to make polyphia music i mean let's I be real that. here i understand <laughs> But, you know, even coming up as a fan of Satriani when we were younger, you know, just doing some Satriani style jams, you know, um, yeah, I've never really put out anything instrumental. So it'll probably be a similar situation where just a lot of my instrumental influences will come through. I'm not sure what the blend will be like, you know, it, mm -hmm. we're going to find out, you know? Yeah. No, that's 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 part of the fun. I think honestly, for me, when it comes to to music, uh, like you know, sometimes I have, sometimes you have, you know, like an idea. Like obviously, when you're writing a record, you have an idea. You you're making a metal record. You're making, you know, it, that maybe you don't know. You're not trying to pinpoint a subgenre, but you're like, I'm making a heavy fucking thing, and so <laughs> it's got a slam. Um, but but what I love about instrumental music is that it can be super mellow it could be you know hip-hop influenced trap influenced it could be country influence i mean you can uh, you name it bro like it's like every little version and you look at like some of our favorite artists too you know uh like steve vi is a good example like he even though he's definitely his own voice and his own thing like the songs vary widely from one track to the next you know like the energy the the BPM and like one could be kind of almost borderline metal. And then the next one, it's like, he's doing something completely wonky with the, an effect with his even tied, you know, harmonizer and the, 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 the boundaries are even less, you know, in that realm. Well, and that brings me to kind of a thought that um, I really am not a big fan of singles. Mm. Uh, like if they're in support of an album that's fine but like you're saying with different flavors i find that we still need the album format to present the different flavors uh because it gives uh, a place for them to live hmm. uh like if you're just to do singles just to uh, satiate spotify you know whatever everybody wants something new every month but without having different flavors surrounding the song you kind of can't really no one song could ever be enough in my opinion like it doesn't leave you any room to experiment like if you're going to release a single on its own it's got to be a hit it can't be 
experimental. It can't be something super weird. And then people are just going to be like, what's going on? But if you put that different flavor in a set of flavors, it's going to make more sense. I hear that. Like, um, just checking out the new in flames single. Um, what is it? It's like state of slow decay. And I'm honestly not sure what I think about it because it's just one flavor. I need to hear the, the surrounding songs on the album to give it a little of context. Absolutely. <laughs> like, is the whole album going to be hard? Is that going to be the hardest song on the album? Like, what is this song? Like when it's just alone, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like something's missing. Yeah. And I, I would agree, especially in heavier non pop music, right? Cause uh, pop music, I mean, can, can do the single because it's, it's, it's always aiming for a catchy hit. It's all, you know, the vast majority of pop music, e even if it's a sad song and uh, you know, whatever, that it's something that is, it's a, it's a microcosm and it lives on its own. And if it happens to be a part of a group of songs that are like-minded or an eco has its own larger ecosystem, then great. That's fine. It's, it's, it's a nice find, but the vast majority of people, they go, they find one song that speaks to them. It tells a story or, you know, it's got a catchy enough hook that, or the beat is dope enough. So they dance and like, it's got a guest by Snoop Dogg. So fuck it. We're in, you know, like it's like, but the vast majority of the music that we would probably listen to, you know, it needs context for, to, to know like, what do I, do I even, you can like it by itself, but if I like it, then I want to, I either want more of it or I want to know what, you know, in what other um, way, how does this fit into the artist's like, like way of thinking, right? You kind of, exactly. you want to be in the mind of the artist in a way to kind of know what are they trying to say? Yeah. Gosh, like Vela Maya, what they just been dropping singles, singles, singles. And I'm like, ah, you guys are kind of losing me. I don't know. You need to give me something more substantial, but yeah, I understand what you're saying in hip hop, you know, you just need the one hit and you go on, see them on YouTube and they've got 15 million views on this one track. <laughs> I'm like, they are not suffering by not having the album format. Right. Right. And, and, and thankfully there's been a lot of kind of progressive and more esoteric elements that have gone into indie hip hop for a long time. Like, uh, so there's like, less trying to make hits and more storytelling, more crafty, creative stuff, thankfully on the more, more on the indie and underground stuff, you know, like that started happening more so in the early two thousands uh, with atmosphere and Sage Francis and all the stuff that, that I, a lot of it I found at silver platters in Seattle. Um, <laughs> and um, through, through one of the other guys, when I was working there, he was the hip hop buyer. And that's like, that's just a, another side note back to that other side mission was that when you w walked into a dope record store, there was usually one or two people that you <laughs> trusted 
Right. Like, oh, what do you got for me? You know, it's that Frank character at yeah. the metal place, but you go to another place and like, and, and you, <laughs> when you're working around a dude that all he does is live, eat, sleep, shit, hip hop. And you're like, dude, show me what, I mean, what is the best thing to you? And he's like, bro, one, two, this one, this one, this one, you get, they got homework to do. And you know, I'm like, oh, cause, cause at that point, I, my, my understanding of hip hop was mostly the mainstream. Like if Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre hadn't put something out, you know, or Eminem, you know, like that was Eminem was the first new thing in a long time when that came out. We're just like, even though there was tons of shit going on, but we weren't aware of it because there wasn't a computer that was, you know, draw, pushing it on us. And we had to go looking for it and ask about it. And then, you know, um, why was I even talking about that? I don't even know why I was talking about that. I went on a side mission that and got lost. <laughs> Abort mission. It was about music and uh, oh, the, the 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 fact that that modern hip hop, thankfully, isn't stuck in singles, even though they still use it. But like I, I like I was telling you about the Kendrick Lamar album, um, that's a super good example of like he's got a bunch of tracks that will stand on their own, but that is a masterwork from start to finish. Like he's he's telling a story, he's telling his story. In, but inside of his story, there's a bunch of like character stories that you're not you're not quite sure if it's him or if it's somebody else that's, mm. that he's like speaking for. Um, all the, you know, I, it's just it's a very very artsy thing. Um, and a few of those tracks don't really stand alone on their own. They have to have context of the album to make real sense. And so that 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 element alone tells me, oh, like he's he's asking for my patience you know, to like listen to this a few times and not just like go, Oh yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Cause it's too dense. And yeah. just like, like your album, it's too dense. You can't listen to it once and get it. You have to let it marinate for a bit, you know, and you, then you'll really get the genius. stuff. <laughs> I think that was part of um, the problem with some of my previous efforts is there are just too much like, mm. Like it's not the type of album you could listen to on repeat. Whereas the albums that I really get into, like when you're crazy about them, I'm listening to that two, three times in a row, you know? Yeah. Like when I discovered that first threat signal under reprisal, I, I listened to that album on repeat for a month <laughs> and never got tired of it. I'm just like, nothing else can touch this <laughs> uh that's, that's one of my favorite things about you and your love for metal is that you when you find the vein of gold you like consume it consistently it's kind of a double-edged sword though because you can really over listen to something and make yourself sick of it you can ruin it for yourself <laughs> sure sure i was really trying to do that not do that with the newest dream theater Cause it's so good. And I was listening to it every day and I'm like, I'm going to kill this for myself. If I, <laughs> if I make it too rough. Also uh, another instrumental band that I'm really in danger of overdoing it with. Uh, it was the opening act for dream theater that I saw just a couple of months ago. And it's an instrumental band called arch echo. They're and great. boy, I cannot stop listening to it. Like I work from home. Um, and, uh, while I'm working, I probably listen to their entire catalog every day. 
Jeez. <laughs> I mean, it's only like what two hours. It's not a huge still, catalog. So still. And I'm like, I've got it pretty much fully memorized now. And I'm like, I am in danger of really ruining this for myself. <laughs> well, the, the absence will let the heart grow fonder or they'll put out a new album. I mean, I, I, we did that. At least I know I did that with Pantera and certain other bands for a while too, where I just, you know, I had a season of just like, ah, that's the only thing I wanted to listen to. And, and these days, like, I love, I love that that was that I had so much time and energy with that band, for example, with, with Pantera. And then, and then now I, when I put it on, it's such a massive, like upwell. it's almost like the early days. Cause I, I, I don't have it. It's, it's in my blood, but it's not like, I'm not sick of it. I'm like, Oh, that's right. This is the power of the universe colliding. Ah, when you really hear like for, I still, I love all the albums, but I mean, the production on Trend Kill and some of the spaciousness, the spaciousness that happened in that production kind of moves me the most in a lot of ways, like songs like Tens and uh, Drag the Waters. And I, even though I love the heavy stuff, it's like those things that help contrast the really heavy things. Um, and that was the really, really the first album that I got like the day it came or the day before it came out, you know? <laughs> in that particular case. yeah i remember kicking it over to a friend's house and somehow through tower records you had finagled what well, it was southern trend kill yeah and you hadn't gotten it the day early yeah and you just came over to the chill pad didn't just say a word <laughs> and just put it on the stereo and we were all doing something else and it took about maybe 20 30 seconds into the first song and i remember the realization hitting me i'm like wait a minute i know what this is <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that was jesse young's house yeah and i think you guys were playing magic <laughs> <laughs> yeah right or something like that but i got yeah, yeah I, I remember i came i drove over to chico and it was like a friend of a friend i don't even remember who because before i ever worked there but i Somebody had said, oh, yeah, we got I got, I'm like, oh, well, I'll be here tomorrow for the Pantera thing. They're like, we've got them in the back right now. I'm like, sell it to me now, like, or I'll kill you, basically, you know, like, <laughs> please. I mean, I mean, I won't kill you. I mean, just, you know, I don't remember somebody granted me. I forget how it really went down, but I bought the cassette and the CD. So I listened to the tape on the way over to. to oh, you already to, had a little. Oh yeah, I knew. A little cheater ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew. I knew. I was like, and that's like one of the greatest openings of any album ever, ever. Especially for a Pantera fan, you all you know is that Far Beyond Driven was so much heavier and grindier than the previous effort, and like raw. And like, what could they possibly do that would be beyond that? And well, yeah, that that opening was a real statement to say we're not slowing down we're not getting soft we're not going the load route <laughs> you know yeah. i don't know if load had happened by then but uh not quite yet they're like yeah we're staying true <laughs> maybe it had actually maybe it had i remember that I uh i remember that load came out on the same day as carcass swan song oh so no it hadn't then huh. i have to look it might like a year or two because 97 
late 96 or 97 was trend kill and and like 96 was down nola the first one and then like trend kill came in i believe and we saw them one of the times in sacramento in 97 on trend kill tour for sure with like white zombie i think oh i saw him four or five times on that tour <laughs> yeah yeah that, i think that was the most of the times that we had seen him no I, no that, no i take it back i take it back i think i saw him three times at least on reinventing the steel with morbid angel at the key arena was one of them um wasn't it it wasn't at the key for us that was uh outdoors somewhere i forget i have the poster still Speaking of posters, though, I see in the back there, you've got the July 10th. Yeah, the original, the original. This was when we met Dimebag. So I've told that, that story a bunch on here, but I'm curious about what your version of the story is. <laughs> uh, how, how do you remember things going down? Because uh, <sighs> I, I think I called you from Portland. I, we were calling relatively, yeah, kind of pretty often because... I was in Portland and didn't really want to be there in the, in the early days and missed the crap out of you and wasn't, didn't have a buddy there that I was listening to metal with and far beyond driven came out while I was up there. Whoa. So, um, as did Allison Chains, jar of flies and Soundgarden, super unknown all came out in like 94, like, well, I don't remember exactly how it went down. It was like, <sighs> did you even come and drive me up? How the hell did I even get yeah. up there? Yeah, no, I, oh, so I know that part. So I, I bought the tickets and you're like, but how I'm like, I I'm going to drive down. We're going to turn around and drive back and you're going to take the bus home. That was the deal. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, we were there. Um, so I'm visiting you in Portland um, and we were just killing time day of the show. No, day before though. What, day, what, what, day before what happened, the show. What happened we were, the day before? Oh my God. You're going to make <laughs> me go that far back, right? Well, we were hanging out with Devin okay, and her friend. So, uh, I was only 16 at the time, right? Same. I had never actually drank tequila. And so we, we were drinking some tequila on the beach at, you know, just at the river. And um, fuck, I don't even like this story. <laughs> So we were drinking tequila with Zima chasers, right? Like gross. Oh, I forgot that part. <laughs> and so we've got like the red solo cups and I have filled up a fucking red solo cup to the bottom of the lines with straight tequila and I'm straight drinking this whole drink in maybe 15 minutes. And I'm like, man, I, I don't feel anything. So I filled up another one, start drinking that. Oh my God. I had alcohol poisoning by the end of the night. Okay. When I woke up in the morning, I woke up with sand packed in my ear from <laughs> biffing it on the beach. Oh no. Yeah. Okay. So I wake up on the couch. I'm trying to get all the sand out of my ear. Oh my God. Like straight alcohol poisoning. It was bad. Like I remember us going to like some fast food place first thing in the afternoon all I wanted was a soda. Oh God. And I remember getting a, a Sprite or something. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be so refreshing. Took a big gulp and it just tasted like tequila. And I was just like, ah! <laughs> no. Okay. 
So I'm recovering pretty quick. We're young. We can do this. So then it's day of the show and we were kicking it at the biggest music store in Portland, Apple music, not affiliated with Apple at all. Yeah. So we go in there and I remember that shop, the guy had an incredible personal collection, like 80 guitars around the top row of that shop. Just the rarest, craziest pointy shit that you've never seen in your life. And we're just marveling at all these crazy guitars. And uh, I think we were actually up at the counter talking to the counter person about some crazy Ibanez gems that he had behind the counter. And the guy says to us, oh, the bass player from Prong just walked in. Mm. And we're like, what? Where? And we're young, total fanboys. So we're just, we're going to go chat him up. So we go over um, and didn't actually start talking to him. We started talking to the one of the guys with him that turned out to be Phil Anselmo's personal stage assistant. And I'm like, damn, dude, I just came, what, 600 miles to see the world's best metal band. Does that mean I can get some backstage passes or what? And he's like, actually, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I usually have four or six in any given city with nobody to give them to. Um, just meet me between the stage, you know, before Pantera goes on and I'll remember your shirt because I was wearing a consolidated skate company shirt that I had borrowed from my friend. It was red with a giant red devil head on it. And he's like, I'll remember that shirt. So sure enough, in between bands, we went over to the fence. We saw him, flagged him down came over, brought us our passes. I remember I was trying to be all on the DL that you're all woo, holding yours in the air. Like, yeah. And I'm like, don't, don't do that. People don't, are going to, people are going to tackle us. That dude said, Hey, put them in your pockets too. <laughs> like as, as I was stoked. So <clears throat> after the show, that was the first show that I ever moshed. Um, uh, and uh, so, of course, we're super sweaty, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, um, and had to go through Lord knows how many security checks. Like, they checked our backstage pass, what, four, five, six different times as they're weeding through the crowd, trying to get rid of the people that don't belong. So, eventually, we got to um, the actual backstage area, and it was like, um, like smaller circus tents in a way. And then they had like cafeteria tables set up in there. It was probably sponsored by some radio station. So we're just in there kicking it for 20, 30 minutes with about 40, 50 other people. And we're just waiting for Pantera to come in. Right. So eventually I believe that it was uh, Vinny that came first and he comes riding into the tent on a golf cart. <laughs> he takes a look 
around the room find, finds the hottest girl with the biggest boobs gets her on the golf cart and they leave immediately <laughs> okay so then we're waiting i think rex comes in next and of course he's just getting bombarded with people like 40 people trying to talk to him so i just give him some space and waited right now i don't know if Vinny struck out or if he got off really quick but Vinny was back in 15 minutes <laughs> And then so the crowd kind of migrated over to Vinny because he's the new fish in the, in the backstage bowl. So, all right, cool. I'll go talk to Rex now that there's some space. And he was pretty low key, you know, uh, he wasn't too hyped up, uh, but he was cool. And I remember talking to him about all his skull tattoos. Like one of his arms is just a, just skulls on skulls, you know, and, pretty cool i think i i don't think i got a pick from rex uh then um i think i don't remember if uh phil or dime came in next but whoever came in next just got absolutely swarmed again you had to kind of wait to get a chance um i remember talking to dime about um well, the thing is, a lot of the people there were kind of posers. Like, a lot of the people there were not huge Pantera fans. Like, they had just won their passes off a radio contest or whatever. So, I kind of couldn't believe it after probably less than an hour, the crowd was really thinning out. And after a while, there was only about 15 of us that really wanted to kick it deep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's when the real party started. And uh, Dime got on the radio. He's like, get us some beers over here in tent B4. People start bringing shit in. And then this is also. <laughs> this was also when uh, on the home videos, they had been shaving everybody's head. And I remember you were growing your hair out maybe halfway. It was like down to here, maybe, and dyed green. And at that point, Phil had been doing all the shaving. And I remember you asking Phil if he'd shave your head on camera for the video. And he's just like, nah, man, you should do what I'm going to do. And that's grow your hair out forever. Never comb it. Never wash it. And that's what you should do, too. And then you're like, nah, fuck that. We're doing this. So you went over and hit Dime up. And Dime's like, hell yeah, you got an ugly mop. That thing's going down. <laughs> <laughs> so then he gets on the, on the CB again. He's like, let's get some clippers over here in tent before. And then they couldn't find him. And he had to go, he had to go hunt him down himself, if I recall. So he comes back, you know. And he was pretty drunk. So I remember shaving your head on camera. And he's like nicking your head, making it bleed. And the cameraman, I don't know if it was Bobby Tongs or whatever. He's like trying to have a drink. And he's like, here, hold my camera for a second. Hands me the motherfucking expensive camera. And I'm filming you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a blast. You know, I mean, other than that, 
I remember at some point uh, we were doing black tooths directly into each other's mouths. Yeah. So I straight up poured a fucking black tooth into Dimebag's mouth, like, and vice versa. And I mean, that's just so legendary. Like, I, I can't believe that we literally don't have video of this. You know, it was probably before, in the archives somewhere. It was before the time that you had a camera on your phone and a disposable camera would not have survived that pit. No, you know? we didn't have phones. Yeah, we didn't know what we were doing. Um, <laughs> so luckily you got one picture with Dime the next time you met him and you knew that you were going to meet him. Yeah, it was 97. Yeah. Uh, I guess the other detail that uh, I was missing is that uh, Phil and Dime both had asked for my Red Devil shirt. They thought it was so freaking cool. And I actually told Phil no, because I was borrowing that shirt from my buddy Jay Bustamane. Mm -hmm. But I mean, when my hero Dime started grilling me about it, and he's like, man, I need that shirt. I'm going to give it to Phil. I'll make him watch it in the next. I'll make him wear it in the next video and i said oh well, all right and i just took my shirt off and gave it to him he said well i'll give you a replacement shirt i'll get you a pantera shirt off the bus <laughs> so what happens though he's so wasted that we go out to the bus you know we'd already been kicking it for two hours after the show he's got to be wasted and exhausted so Dime goes back onto the bus, though, and just never comes back. <laughs> and I'm waiting there with no shirt in the middle of the night. And I, I hit up one of the roadies. I'm like, hey, Dime was supposed to be bringing a shirt out. <laughs> he's like, yeah, no, I don't think he's coming back out. No, he, ca he came back. He came back out and gave us the picks. <clears throat> well, I don't know. I, I, I know that I had to make it home with no shirt. <laughs> yeah you left with no shirt you got like the 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 way i remember it just was that uh he went on and then came back and was like i don't have they put the shirts away i don't oh, got it for you that but but i got this for you and he gave us those little promo cards of the black and white oh, concrete yeah. management photos and then a handful of pics and that's all we got he's like i gotta keep yeah. the shirt but <laughs> i'm gonna give you guys this shit and well that was yeah that was <laughs> I was like the most epic thing. I remember right after that though, what well, kind of in my, one of my favorite things. Cause I, like I, it's like almost like a, in my mind, like a, like a movie, you know, like we were walking away to go find the car. We're just like, what the fuck happened? Like, did we just like really meet Pantera and that he took your shirt and like, we got fixed <laughs> and like, I'm drunk from, I'm drunk and I shouldn't be driving home right now. It's like, Oh you no, know, <laughs> you know, like, but, but we're going to, we're going to make it home. Like we're going to figure it out. You know, like it was, yeah. Just echoes in my mind, you know, from, from that moment. Cause like, it's like, and it's weird to, to have something like that happen to you. Like that was my first, you'd been to concerts. I hadn't been to a big concert before, oh. you know, I'd never, gone to a metal concert i mostly went to christian rap concerts because my parents were all christian so like i was like eh, i don't really know what to expect but you know i was i was down to clown you know and crowd surfed a little bit and moshed and yeah you know. 
definitely a good sign of things to come for you. You know, I mean, established being able to hang out with badasses and not be starstruck, you know, learn to hang out. <laughs> he made it so easy though. He was so personable and like, didn't make us, I mean, out of everybody, Dime was the one that was like the homie, you know, it kind of, it just felt like, oh yeah, we could hang out with Dime yeah. anytime. But yeah. the rest of the guys were a little bit, you know. Oh, Phil was real cool to me. I, I, my, my experience with Phil, I remember the biggest thing I remember about Phil is he had just gotten a new tattoo that took up the whole side of his, his right leg. Oh, and, and it was Jesus on the cross upside down. Oh, fuck. And I'm like, holy shit, dude, you are really going all in. I'm like, I can't imagine anything more evil than that. Yeah. And he's Pretty. like, he, he's like, yeah, man, I know. Right. Like <laughs> he was so proud of it. Hilarious. But yeah. He was, he was in a good mood. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. It's good to, it's good to remember that uh, with you. Cause you definitely remember little aspects of it differently than me, you know? And it's like, um, yeah, it's just, it's like, and I, the one little thing that I always like laugh at to, you probably don't remember, but you'll remember now. It's like, we, we took another dude with us. There was a oh. guy. Oh yeah. That, I always forget about that. There's this other dude that worked with me at Burger King. I was, yeah. my job was at Burger King. And so like this random guy got bought tickets to the show and like i mean yeah you can get a ride with us man but i didn't really like him he wasn't like a buddy or anything and where i was kind of just like annoyed that he had to come along and then he's standing there with us when we got our passes and that dude max that gave us the passes was like oh, i only got three and i'm like well there's there's three of us <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like god damn it like i almost didn't want to give it to him you know i'm like you don't deserve and and i don't remember us taking him home i don't know how i don't remember him backstage at all so like it's really yeah, weird what the hell just <laughs> like faded into the background i don't know how he got home i'm not i don't know nothing but sorry dude that we deemed you unimportant <laughs> yeah yeah well and 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 the, and the coolest kind of you know long-term payoff was you know i've told the story that you know jay bustamani was mad that you got rid of his shirt and <laughs> all right. stuff and didn't really believe him and didn't really believe you. And, and then I got that, um, that import from the underground and it was San Jose two days later, which I still oh, have it on VHS. I yeah. I should probably send it to you. You probably have, do you have a VCR? Um, I could actually, I've got a combo VCR DVD burner. I could burn oh, it to DVD. Yeah. Then we could get it digitized. Yeah. It was like, when I was working at the underground, you know, I was like, oh, what? That's like San Jose two days after it was July 16th, 1994. Yeah. And it had, it was like with guests of Jason Newstead and uh, freaking uh, Chuck Billy both came out. And just, they did, they did just two a Metallica tiny, songs. just a tiny bit of that show actually made the Pantera three video. The red oh. shirt, the red shirt actually is on the Pantera three video. Yeah, but it's not for, it's it's not from that show though. I don't well, I, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it is it's, from the um, show. It's when Newstead came out. Newstead was with him. Oh, I didn't really put that together, but yeah, I saw him because yeah, because like this is before Pantera Three came out though. That that video yeah, we found way it before. Yeah, and then 
it was like, oh, and my favorite thing about that video is that three, four songs into the set, Phil stops and he's like, hey, throw your fucking shirts up here, man. Fucking, <laughs> fucking dime bag. Dime bag got me this from people. Come on, <laughs> throw it up here, man. And it's all from, of a sudden, all these from, shirts. From, from people. people. Yeah. I remember, yeah. <laughs> killed me i was like oh my we're people bro we're people we're the people Woo! that's us it was it's you. official <laughs> and there's like a millisecond of a thing where phil turns and is walking in that pantera three where he was wearing the shirt yeah yeah no i think uh that when dime was like i'll make him watch it i'll make him wear it in the video i was thinking like a music video. Sure. I'm like, ah, oh, I didn't realize he just meant like slip it into the, the home video for like two seconds. Hey man, it's proof. It's proof of our existence that we're people. So <laughs> we'll be happy with what we got. I know it would have been sick if it was actually a, a real, uh, one of the paint well, videos, but. but then, you know, of course I was bummed that we didn't make it onto the three video because they were filming backstage backstage the whole time. And it, you know, partying was such a way of life for us then that it didn't even really occur to me. Oh, they probably can't put drinking with 16 year olds out on the video. That's probably kind of, kind of frowned upon. Yeah, probably, probably <laughs> like and we were getting slayed. Yeah. I remember that's the other thing too, was, it was larger than life. Literally it was like big Val. Big Val was the guy <laughs> that was on the other end of the thing when when Dimes said bring more beers in, go get you know right. shavers, and Big Val's R.I.P. You know passed on, so he's not around anymore either. So no Dime, no Vinny, no Big Val. Yeah, um, I even went so far as to get Big Val's autograph because he was over. He yeah. was already famous enough from the home videos then, you know. I thought you I thought you had done had some interaction with him. I didn't realize that you got his autograph. That's cool. Yeah. And I didn't have anything good to have them autograph. So it was just like I've got all Pantera's autographs on a napkin. <laughs> I had I had Dime and Phil on a on a uh St. Pauli girl uh beer bottle for a long time. And I think I don't know, I gave it away to somebody. I don't know what cuz I had <laughs> I don't know what I did with that. Yeah, you know, uh, this was kind of embarrassing, but I had seen somebody like Dime finished a beer and put it down and somebody grabbed Dime's empty beer bottle and had him autograph it. Mm. And I'm like, oh, that was a super rad idea. Why didn't I think about that? And I just grabbed some random beer bottle and I'm like, here, sign my beer bottle. And he's like, I didn't even drink that one. <laughs> He's but like, I, but I still have that bottle now. I still have that one. Did he? He signed that one. Yeah, it's just it's yeah. just a like a DB on it. It's just yeah. initials. Yeah, you still have the picks though from that era, right? The Diamond Daryl yeah. picks. Yeah. yeah, I do. Yeah, I've I should have had them. I should have had them ready to go for visual aids. But bro, I remember there was a handful of those and a handful of the the little um, sheets, you know, uh, the little promo photos and. You know, not thinking, not really. I've never been one to collect for long-term sake, really. So I would just give shit away. And I had like, I, I don't even know who I gave the Pantera picks away to. I'm like, I, as long as I have one, I'm good. But I also didn't think that Dime would 
be murdered you right. know so like that to me is still like i still don't even i didn't like saying i don't even want to like and it's like by gun violence it's like ah, uh, like good lord like some rando just rolling in on stage of all fucking places you know like um yeah but, it's uh, it's just uh, when i heard the news i didn't want to believe it i'm like no you're confused it's somebody else yeah because why is it got to be the good ones you know like dime was so kind and so personable and just mm-hmm. so down to have a good time why'd it have to be him uh, you know i mean not that anyone would have deserved it but i know i know but a, like a, a lot of you know less kind people out there yeah. like I don't want to say names, but I was like, yeah, I could think of like, well, I could, why couldn't it have been blah, 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 or who's so right. Just, yeah, just, yeah it's, it's, it's a rough concept. <laughs> yeah, very rough. But along those lines, man, like uh, just to, to further the, you know, the cool, the coolness factor between you and I uh, through the years, like we, we went and saw a dream theater together on, on the awake tour, bro. It's cool as fuck. Um, at the at, what was that the the warfield the warfield in san francisco yeah and fate's warning opened that was super cool like mean, i i didn't really know that band i don't think we really knew that band until no. we saw them there um and then came back and saw mashuga like probably on their second or third real time first real tour in america yeah it was on destroy destroy a race improve or was it chaos fear it was chaos fear because hmm. destroy and race improve is what Klaus actually introduced us. Yeah. Sugar, which yeah. like, that's the other really cool thing that like of all the, you know, the metal elitism that's out there. It's like people are like, Oh man, I've been to my sugar for a long. I'm like, yeah, well, shut up, man. Like, you know, if you want to play whose yeah. metal elitism dick is bigger, just like uh, we had a Swedish exchange student in 90, two and 93 that were that was like oh pantera's not that great like mishuga's better and we're like fuck you dude that's not true and then it was a while before we actually caught on yeah and and actually gave them their due and then then we were like oh we've been into this band before like nobody else knows who this band so it's like it was the ultimate thing it's crazy to think that gent is really almost as old as death metal like if death metal started in the late eighties, early nineties, you know, I mean, and then gent really started in the, you know, early to mid nineties. I would say more late, late, late nineties. I mean, cause what was the, cause destroy race and well, I guess you're right. I guess the, the origins of it is mid nineties, probably like 95, like right around when we were graduating and, you know, people were catching. It's just on, right? crazy to think that Gent is already that old and it's just getting super popular now. Yeah, the origins of it, but it wasn't. It wasn't. Nobody knew the word Gent for until like probably, you know, 15, 10, 15 years ago. Really, I mean, I, I think I want to say it was an interview with Frederick or one of the guys in Meshuga where that whole word came out like over fifteen, <laughs> yeah. right, close to fifteen years ago you know and from what i heard it was just a misunderstanding like they were asking him to describe his sound and he's like, like oh you know it's just kind of like jet 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 
exactly. <laughs> and here we are. Now it's a it's a genre, and people are arguing about it. You know, and yeah, it's a de genre. De genre. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, but that was and that we we actually uh, we were one we were we were two of about six people in the mosh pit for chaos sphere. <laughs> Everybody was waiting around for Slayer and 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 sick of it all, and I couldn't be bothered with any of that. No, yeah, I remember there being no crowd when Meshuggah was about to start. We straight walked up to the front center of the rail, and we're looking around at everyone else like why aren't you up here yeah 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 and then we and then uh we wrestled over uh uh tomas hot stick the pro the pro indeed stick yeah it was that thing where you're in the crowd and then like there was about 10 people wrestling for this this drumstick and then uh i was getting more and more people off of it and there was only one person still holding on and i couldn't get it away from them and I looked up and it was you. <laughs> and it's like me and you were the only two that still had our hands on it. And I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, you can have it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit, it's one of us. Okay, we're good. I think that was the one of those, either the Dream Theater or the Meshuggah tri uh, trip down there. My car got broken into uh, uh, like my backpack stolen or something like that. I was uh, we had like parked and then taken the BART or something. Yeah, it was something like that. But uh. What a trip, man. Yeah, it's old old times, good times, man. And then, uh, you know, subsequently, it's just like those type of experiences. I mean, uh, that was, well, that was what was also interesting, too, was uh, while I was standing back there, uh, did you, were you backstage at that? Did you walk outside and stand out there and meet Meshuggah with me? That, at that, at that chaos sphere thing? Because, I distinctly had the the moment back there where I I, I walked out because I didn't care about sick of it all, and I was around the back uh, door, and they're all guarding their gear at the back door, waiting to load their stuff out because of the opening band, and I start talking to Frederick and maybe Martin and uh, was trying to, you know, ask them. It's like being a fan. Hey, you guys are awesome, and that's when uh, James Murphy and Testament. Like they are, they were there to go see Slayer. They weren't there for Meshuga. They were there late. They got there late, and they all went in after. Like, and then that was the moment where. I don't think I recall any of that. I think maybe you had slipped out on your own. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, I do remember meeting James Murphy, but I feel like that was after a Testament show in Sacramento. Yeah, that was like. Was that Bojangles or no, that's not Bojangles. It was the, uh, it was like Roseville. Yeah. I remember that. That was the gathering, yeah, to, gathering I, tour. That was. Yeah. I remember uh, getting one of these from James Murphy. He played the green Tortex. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That was, that was a good show. That was a, it was cool to see him play live and see that band. That was with Lombardo too on drums. Which is super fucking cool. I hear that he's back in Testament now. Yeah, it's been a revolving door. The boss staff has been in there, and Lombardo, and uh, so many drummers in Testament, man. Last time I saw him, it was Gene Hoagland. Oh, yeah, Gene. That's that was right. a huge surprise. Like, I didn't I didn't know that. Like, show up the show, ready to see Testament, and Hoagland's behind the kit, and I'm like, yes! 
<laughs> you know, I that was already years ago. I forget how long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll ask you a couple more questions. I'm interested in knowing. Um, you've already covered some of your influences and like stuff that you're listening to lately. Uh, but like, I'm curious about like what 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 are some some artists or maybe a player that um, you could turn the listeners on to uh, that they might not know about that you're that you're super stoked about. Well, you know, uh, yeah, it was the big guns growing up. And then as, you know, times get more current, metal is more and more splintered. And so there's just all these less popular bands now that are harder to discover. Um, I would say in metal, the one that's really captured my imagination the most is threat signal hmm. uh, i mean we're talking you know in the last 10 years um and it took me a while to discover them because you know there's so many similar sounding band names like misery signals and then misery index mm -hmm. and like you start getting them all mixed up but once i heard that that threat signals under reprisal it is just, it's so slamming and it's got vicious vocals. The production is insane. And then their song structures, like they almost come out ripping the whole time. And then by the end of the song, it's gone completely melodic. Hmm. And it gives you this palate cleanse that by the next by the time the next song comes in slamming it's exactly what you wanted to hear again mm. um it's mostly the first album or is there other albums in their catalog that you'd recommend as well you know the newest one is acceptable the second one is acceptable but none of them can touch that first effort mm. it, it's miles above all the rest Okay. Um, God, um, you know, when Ixian started, it was, you know, around 2005, six and, um, the hot things at the time was the new wave of American heavy metal mm. that they were trying to do. And Lama that was God and such. mainly Lamb of God. And, um, I was totally into shadows fall as well at the oh, time i forgot about that band very great um and then i don't know if you can really include them but i would kind of include chimera at the time i started sure, getting I way would. into chimera at 2005 so i'd say those were my original ixian influences was trying to kind of fit into that new wave of american heavy metal mm -hmm. but i was also just discovering black metal at the time too <laughs> uh, mainly Emperor and Dimi Borgir. Mm. Um, but yeah, as of late, um, Revocation has really captured my imagination. You know, uh, they're really creative. No two songs are the same. They're always taking crazy, artistic, different directions. Mm. Um, again, Scar Symmetry. Um, one the most amazing lead guitars of course with pair mm -hmm. um 
when I first heard scar symmetry, uh, it just came on, on random on my Pandora tech metal station. And I kind of couldn't believe what I was hearing because it was the first band that had such an extreme difference in their flavors of vocals. You had the pure death that was savage, but then the clean vocals were so clean. Mm. And at first it was too much for me. I'm like, I'm like, I kind of don't want to admit that I like this. <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed kind of like at first I wanted to call it Disney metal in a way, <laughs> you know, like that it's vicious, but then they've put this, this flavor on it that is trying to make it listenable or acceptable. And at first I'm like, what? just what? <laughs> <laughs> But now I've really come to appreciate that the dynamic of the harsh versus the melodic. And I think that um, the contrast just adds so much to the overall flavor that that's really what I enjoy the most in metal right now yeah. is bands with a lot of contrast. Interesting. That's cool. I mean, I, I feel like there was a time back in maybe band days that that wasn't the case, though. Like you like you didn't have that feeling of wanting that contrast. Like I've, it was like more trying to make it more deadly and more heavy than it was being interested in that. Yeah. In those times, I definitely if I'd have had my way, only humans vocals would have just been death, just carcass style, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but that was before I really had written a lot of songs and maybe come to appreciate vocals in harder metal. I mean, of course, I love the vocals in like Alice in Chains and sure. things like that. But it seemed like if you were going to be a hard band, there weren't really options. You know what I mean? You had to be all the way hard. Whereas now there's every flavor under the sun true true yeah man well that's like uh that's a pretty good widespread of of influences and music to check out for sure that i all those seem to kind of play into you know who you are as a musician and i'm sure that becoming more of a vocalist over the years has shifted your perspective too right like like you probably appreciate <laughs> the whole thing in a different light i can imagine anyway well sure yeah when i was just in our band you know i was really only concerned about my guitar parts you know i right. figure the vocalist will handle the lyrics he'll handle the hooks he'll handle it was out of my realm i didn't even need to worry about it <clears throat> so then with ixian you know it's just been the process of writing a lot of songs and you kind of see what works and what doesn't and uh you know i would say that i've written over a hundred songs now you know counting only human and um just little things before that all the four track stuff that we used to do yeah and so it just kind of comes with experience too being like 
I realize now that this song would be better if it's got a great hook, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, you start to see things more of from an overall perspective, seeing the whole song as opposed to just trying to ensure that you've got that wicked riff or a dazzling solo. It's with experience has come more perspective. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, and that's one of the, 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 the ongoing issues with being a collaborator with anybody. And even with your solo project, you collaborate with somebody just to master. You're like, ah, differences of opinions and they don't see the whole picture the way you see the whole picture or, or you don't see the whole picture. Like they see the whole picture or whatever, you know, you see different parts of the picture. And, you know, I remember, you know, that, that was, one of the concerns that like, you know, Jeremy, you know, at different times, it was like, he had, he was the elder of the group and we were like, he had already been in 10 bands by the time he started the band with us. And we we're like, yeah, we're, we're going to do the thing. And he's like, you know, like I, I, I can just remember, even though he had his own things to, to realize too, but I, we, in a way I felt like a kid around him because he had all the, all the, you know, experience. he had already been on tours. He'd already, slept on shitty, you know, disgusting carpets all around the country, <laughs> you know, like we, we had yet to do that when we joined forces, you know, so we'd only played a handful of shows around Chico and whatnot. And, uh, that, that, I remember that being the biggest thing too, is like the first tour or so we did where I was like, Hey, it was like so much work to go do that type of thing. And then so many variables, so many things can go wrong, <laughs> you know, like, you know, just like, learning after a while you're like fuck man i i i step on my cord and unplug myself you know I, when i'm when i'm trying to rock out you know or i that was more your thing i was breaking strings <laughs> left and right you know like yeah. like you could guarantee i was gonna break a string and may, maybe ryan was gonna step on his cord you know <laughs> yeah i hadn't learned to loop it through my uh through my strap yet <laughs> but but you know but that's like what's f it's fun like we had to go do those things to to have the perspective that we have now and like and it's i i think i can kind of speak for both of us in the sense that we both really appreciate like where we're at with gear and where, where we're at with like experience as players and stuff now you know like you, there's we can always grow but like it's it's not i look back at us then i'm like I'm, I'm proud of us that we, that we stuck out as long as we did and like paid all this extra rent and drove from way North Seattle down to down South Seattle to practice for two and a half hours and barely get stuff done and then have to, you know, go back to our shitty jobs and, you know, do it all over again. And, you know, you know, it's just part of paying your dues though. And, you know, like I never felt bad about it. Like the yeah. whole time I just, whatever struggles or monetary struggles or getting no sleep. It felt like we were in the right place doing what we were meant to do. And it just, it gives you so much pride just feeling like I'm living my life chasing the thing that I love and just nothing ever felt more right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I still, I still, think about that very first gig when we didn't even have a bass player at the paradox theater <laughs> opening up for odd men opening up for our friend kale you know yeah. like which well he was on drums in that band if at that I, time if i recall we kind of we kind of killed Willhaven. we had yeah. so much energy we just destroyed and 
then they came out and they're like, uh, we're going to have to headbang really hard. It wasn't, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, we come to find out that band, I mean, they got good energy. I'm not talking shit about Wilhaven, but like we were just different energy too, you know? Yeah, like it's we, true. We were chomping, champing at the bit, you know, and uh, I still got a photo, right? I actually, I got a couple photos and that was when we, when I had a Jackson Kelly with the reverse headstock. Yeah. Yeah, so cool, man. I, mean, I should, that's, speaking of which, those are like, guitars i shouldn't have got rid of there's a couple of them you know and the charvel and that one and the old the old purple ish ibanez that i had for a bit you know the 540 but yeah that's all tricky that's always tricky because you can't keep all your guitars all the time no. but uh you never know which ones you're gonna miss <laughs> it worked out though i got rid of all those guitars and I, I i'm surrounded by them now so like uh you know i've like i could complain and feel sorry for myself or i could play one of 20 guitars sitting right here that are all custom made for me so yeah, yeah no complaints <laughs> could be worse <laughs> yeah man well it's it's awesome to to have you on the podcast finally i'm it's cool that like uh something that i i mean this podcast i didn't i didn't even know i was going to do 100 episodes or any you know 50 episodes for that matter um because i didn't know if i this was going to be fun or not or just going to be endless work and it's still a little bit of both, but uh, it's uh, it's super cool to have you on this podcast at, under these circumstances. And so, um, you know, phenomenal job on this album. And it's cool because I, I, for me, as a fan of you, as a, as a human being doing good things in the world and, 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 and following your dreams, it's like I, I can sit and I can very clearly remember uh, starting to pass out uh, at your old place out in the country while you were working on a spawn, you know, uh, painting and li uh -huh. listening to Alice in Chains dirt over and over and over again while you finished it so that you could be in time for like, turn it in like last minute or something like that to yeah. slidey at the art department. Yeah. And, and like, I've got a very visceral memory of how high the Pepsi cans were stacked, bro. <laughs> like I'm, I'm clear about it, you know, like, yeah. And, and, and to think that, you know, we're still buds after all these years and we still love music and we can still get to share a lot of stuff, even though our metal tastes are oftentimes a little different, but it's like, it's all, it's all a really interesting culmination in this album because, you know, I've been there for most of that stuff, you know, and mo most of the experiences and, you know, it would like dime would be proud, you know, like if you if if you were still around, we'd we'd roll around and be like, hey man, I know it's we were kids when we met you back in the day, but like, like here, like, I mean, maybe you care, maybe he would just be stoked because you know, uh, we grew up and and you you really have uh, taken it to task with this uh, because it's it, it's also another level of just being willing to take on all the duties, man, and and so you know you've come up in all the ways and you're, you're now you've like officially put producer hat on in a different way, you know, like, so you have the ability to, you know, now transfer those qualities and those, those things that you've learned and grow those aspects in a different way. Um, and in future projects. So, um, yeah, man, I, I I'm super proud. I hope that anybody listening that's checking this out right now, is uh is curious at the very least we'll click over and check out spotify or itunes and check out escalation of arrogance by ixion um i x i o n 
Um, right? Yes. <laughs> like I'll probably, <laughs> I have to think about it, even though I know. Um, and 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 check out your your instigator uh, records uh, website. It, what what's, what what is it? Is it instigatorrecords.com? Yeah, instigatorusa.com. Okay, instigatorusa.com. So you can get like merchandise. You can get a really dope shirt like this there. Yeah. With bunnies. And yeah, and that's that's where you'd want to buy the physical disc if you're old geezers like us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got yeah. some cool shirts on there. Uh, that hair metal one there you're watching, uh, I just made out of clip art super fast so I could open my store. Like I did it kind of just as a joke. Yeah. And then uh, everybody around me loved it and wanted it. And I'm like, uh, all right, well, I guess I'll make it available then. So then you just make a few different versions, make a new like version two and version three down the road. Like maybe, you know, there's another yeah. opportunity there, but uh, yeah, man, it's uh, been great hanging and talking about all the, all the old times. We can definitely do it again at some point, especially when you have another project or whatever, man, it would be cool to pimp it out and uh, get people listening to, uh, to Ixian and the Ryan Miranda solos and all the you've, that's the other thing do you added, like some cool like sweep technique stuff going on in the uh i i, I was listening for all the, <laughs> the cool shit but i know uh you 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 could tell me better than than, than i would remember but i i want to say it was in uh in, there's a bit in after death or golden fire and then later on in uh i don't burn trials i don't know i don't remember but i was just like it, that's the other part of it that is is exciting is that like there was cool lead playing on all the other stuff, but like you've like taken it up five notches on this one. So, yeah, I would agree. A lot of that is the NAM influence and realizing I really needed to take it to another level. There's more emotion uh, and, and more technicality uh, both in this effort, you know? So um, kudos, man. It's super dope. I appreciate it. It's great to hear. Yeah, man. Well, um, I'm going to, cl I'll close it here, but uh, let's uh, stay in touch, man. We'll talk real soon. And, uh, you know, everybody out there, go buy Ixian merch and buy Ixian album or download or, or stream on Spotify. And uh, until next time. Right on, man. Players Pick Podcast. Picks and Perspective with Chris Johnson. Players Pick Podcast is brought to you in part by our good friends at Dunlop Guitar Products, Kiesel Custom Guitars, and our favorite new coffee company, Road Roaster Coffee. Use coupon code PLAYERSPICK for 20% off your first order at roadroastercoffee.com.